right now to be repaired in Jesus' name. So, Father, I give you thanks and I give you praise for this right now in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. How's that feel? Does anything... It started spasming. Praise God. Well, I'm going to look forward to the test, please. That lady as well. I'd love to hear what God's doing because I believe God's a God of heals. Amen? Amen. Praise God. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Now it begins this, you know this story well about the, the, the prodigal son. But I want to talk specifically about the prodigal father this morning. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. How many of you know in biblical days um, that the son was always entitled to an inheritance? But how many of you know even in these days, you don't get it until dad goes? And literally for this, this son to request such a thing, it literally would be the same as requesting his father was dead. He said, Dad, I I don't want to wait for you to die. I want that inheritance now. Very gracious father. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Anybody got a testimony like that one? Maybe dad didn't sponsor it, but the wild living. After he had spent everything and there was a severe famine in the country and, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed for his fill or he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that today as we come around your word, Lord, that faith is going to be built. Father, we pray, Lord, even now, you you know every heart, you know every life. Lord, you know the challenges, you know the, Lord, the mountains, you know the things that we're facing right now. And Father, we pray by the power of your spirit that you're going to speak to each and every one of us in this place. So Father, we just give you thanks and we give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, 
I, I love this story. As I said, over the years, it's probably changed focus for me. And, um, but you know, I believe when you understand these stories, it actually is in a list of three stories, um, which really represent the father's heart about the lost. How many of you know God is passionate about lost people? God desperately wants to see the lost come home. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, God wants to see the lost coming in. And, uh, you know, often when we talk in the terms of sinners, you know, the Bible says sin is simply when we miss the mark. Has anybody missed the mark this week? Anyone had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. How many of you know the minute we repent, God forgives and we come home and the Bible says God just every time God loves that restoration. God loves when we come home. And this story's one of three stories. The first one is that of a lost sheep. And the Bible says there's a hundred sheep. One goes missing. He leaves the 99, goes and finds the one. And it finishes with this verse in 15:7. I tell you. That in the same way, when that one little sheep was found, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people or persons who do not need to repent. Now, I think from the last statistics, I think it's about 64,000 people that get saved every day. I think it's something like that. How many of you know there's a lot of partying going on in heaven? Every few seconds, people are getting saved. And so the, the, there's a party going on. Then the Bible tells about a lost coin. And again, it finishes. This lady, she searches everything, rips everything, turns everything over to find this coin. And it finishes in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't that awesome? So every time we make a mistake, every time we fall, every time we miss the mark, and not only in the context of lost people, but I think every time we come, I believe there is rejoicing in heaven. And that's the context. And then it flows into the story of which we know is the story of the prodigal son. And it's a typical story of a son that loses his way. And then in the depths of despair, he decides to make his way back to dad's house now i don't know have anyone here ever been a teenager and anyone ever blown it from time upset mum and dad did things and I, I can always remember being young and you know when i'd done something and i knew i got busted and you know i would sit there and rehearse these stories and i would have this great line of what i was going to tell them and it was going to be you know that just such a place of repentance and such a wonderful time of forgiveness it never always went that way but you know that this is almost where this young guy was he would have been thinking through this i've blown it i've squandered it uh, the one translation says he blew it on prostitutes he literally just went out and lived wildly but he gets to the point where he goes i gotta go back home Bible says in Luke 15, 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion. If I can just stop for a minute, um, I, I don't know if you've got a good imagination. One of my problems is I have got a good imagination. But if you could just imagine for a minute what was going through the son's mind and what was going through the father's mind. This son was thinking, I'm going to get a clip across the ear. My father's probably going to scream and shout. And when he saw him, he probably said, oh, here he is. He's probably got a stick hidden somewhere. And he probably had all this stuff going through his mind. But then we see the response of the father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. How many of you know whenever Jesus saw those that had been literally terrorized by the enemy, the Bible says he had great compassion. When he saw the crowds that were sick, those that had been whatever had been done to them, he saw them like people terrorized. The Bible says his father ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Folks, I believe this passage of scripture paints an incredible picture of the church. Because, you know, I believe the church is meant to be a place of great celebration. It's meant to be a place where lost people can come in. It's meant to be a place that when people come in, they're not expecting someone to go, oh, mate, I know what you've been up to this week, and you, you do that again, and you're going to get a good clip across your ear. And <laughs> How many of you know, when, when people come, church is meant to be a place, not that we condone sin, but we celebrate when lost come back. When people come to that place and they realize they've blown it. You see, I believe that church is meant to be a place of great celebration for those that have put their hope in Christ. And they're on a journey back to restoration every week. We would get to celebrate people coming home, people on their journey. I know in my church, and this is probably a lot better church than my church, but every week I've got people that have blown it. Every week people that have, that have fallen short of the glory of God. Every week, and you know, if it was left to the devil, they would just be feeling like absolute muck. They would just think, I don't, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. But we want to be a church that celebrates those that are on a journey of restoration. People have lost their way. People have fallen short of the glory of God. People have been hurt. People have been disappointed. People have been devastated. Can I say this honestly? I believe sometimes it's easier to create a church that's religious than a church that actually reflects the Father heart of God. Sometimes when people mess up, when people make mistakes, we're very quick to go, hey, don't you do that again. You better watch it. You better sort yourself out. You better get your act together. Sometimes it's easier to create a religious house than it is to, re- it is to create a house that reflects the Father heart of God. Today, there will be people that are blown it. Today, there'll be people in this place that have had to say, Lord, I've really messed up and I I just need your forgiveness. And I believe today needs to be a time of celebration when we can celebrate the heart of God. You see, I love this story because for the son, I reckon he was totally blown away. I reckon everything he had in his mind, everything that he thought, everything that he expected was going to happen just totally went out the window. 
He was expecting to be judged. He was expecting to be reprimanded. He was expecting to be treated like a slave. Too right, you've messed up, boy. You just get in that back room and you don't deserve anything in this house anymore. That's what exactly what he was expected. He was simply just hoping that his father would take him back and that he would just be accepted as a servant, a slave in the house of God. But the Bible says instead, the father stood and he saw him coming from a distance. And when he saw him, the Bible says that his heart rose with compassion. And instead of being judgmental, instead of being condemning, instead of saying, I told you so, you deserve it. The Bible says he stood there with heart, with hands wide open. And he said, welcome home, son. He gave him and met him with unconditional love. And if that wasn't enough, the Bible says he then gave him the best that he could afford. His father celebrated his return. I don't know about you, but you know, when I talk to a lot of people in the world, their number one concern about coming to church is they think that if they come to church, everyone's going to judge them. Everyone's going to condemn them. I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't tell you how many people that I've spoke to have said, hey, if I ever come to church, I think lightning will strike the building. It's like God's just waiting there. Yeah, you dare step foot in that place and tong, that's going to be it. But how many of you know that's not the father heart of God? That's not the way God responded. The father said to his servant in Luke 15, 22, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, folks, I I want you just for a moment to try and Just capture the enormity of what just happened right there. Because here he was, he had a lot of money, he had a lot of friends, he had a lot of wild living, but he ended up in a pigsty with absolutely nothing. He ended up in a place where people wouldn't even feed him. He ended up in total destitution. He ended up literally at absolute rock bottom. And when he came to his senses, he thought, man, the servants at home are better off than me right now. The people that, that, that work for my dad are looked after and cared for better than what I am. And so he makes a decision that he's going to return home. The story is a picture of God's abundant grace. Now, I don't know when you think about that term, abundant grace. That, that's quite an amazing word, isn't it? Because God's grace, I don't know if we'll ever fully understand it. Because so often, I know my testimony, you know your testimony, you probably know what you deserved, but instead of getting what you deserved, you received God's abundant grace. If I can, for this, for just a moment, try and help you to understand because, you know, something that I've discovered is the way we see God or the way we envisage God and His abundant grace will really determine how we receive from God. You know, so often when, when I think about God's provision or God meeting our needs, you know, from my own perspective, sometimes when I'm praying, I think we spoke 
Who's the guy that played the keyboard? You know, sometimes we're, we're just praying for that bill to get met. God, I, I just need you to meet that electricity. Just, 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 Lord, just, just that. If you could just do that. God, I, I, please help me, Jesus. I just need your provision. You see, our perception of God will help us to understand what we can receive from God. See, when you think about the God of heaven in terms of the world, I, I don't know what you could compare it to. Uh, if, if I read that story and I, I think of either myself coming home, thinking back when I lived in Quinana and the home that I was in and the excuses that I had, I, I see myself coming back to a little four by two home. And, you know, that, that was my perspective of the prodigal son. Maybe we have some people here from Peppermint Grove. Anyone here? A nice home mansion on the riverfront. And how many of you know if that was you, you'd have a different perspective? Does Armadale have a Calm School? Champion Lakes, big, beautiful home overlooking. How many of you know if that's your perspective or that's your perception? That's how you see things. But how many of you know when Jesus told this story, he was actually thinking about heaven? He wasn't thinking about a little farm or five acres or ten acres. He, he was talking about lost people coming home. He was talking about people seeing God. And, and if I can, and this is probably a bad exaggeration of it, but can I just for a moment show you a video clip? It's what's classed as the biggest house in the world, if we're able to put that up. might know that now now imagine if you were the sultan of brunei's son and you thought of that story of you coming home how many of you have been in a hurry to get home now, how many of you know our perspective of what we're seeing can determine what we're expecting and when the bible talks about the abundant provision how many of you know the bible says god owns a cattle on a thousand hills the bible says silver and gold is my 
The Bible talks about heaven, and I won't go through it. I think they can put it up in Revelations. But the Bible says the streets are paved with gold. The Bible says there's, there's all sorts of amazing jewels and all sorts of incredible things in heaven. So I'm wondering when Jesus was talking about this lost son coming home, um, just what he had in mind compared to what we've got in mind. And I don't know about you, but if I could get my head around that, and I sometimes I, I have trouble trying to figure out that guy, the Sultan of Brunei. How many of you know there's abundance of healing in this place today? There's abundance of peace. There's abundance of joy. Whatever we need is right in the presence of God today. And our perception, if we think all God's got to try and do is muster up just enough to pay that one bill or just to heal this or just to do that. See, sometimes our perception of God will stop us from receiving or or limit what we receive from God. The Bible says that he came to his senses and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I don't deserve to be a son. I'm happy just to be a slave in your house. And he makes his journey home. And the Bible says when he got there, he was totally blown away. The Bible says when he got there, the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know, in biblical days, when they hosted a guest, especially when it was a special guest, what they would do is they would have a robe that they would literally cover. Often these people had journeyed for hours. They probably rode the best camels. I don't know what sort of transport they had, but they might have been dusty and dirty and the servants would have washed their feet. They would have taken their outer guard and they would have put a robe upon them. And that robe represented that they were an honored guest in their father's house. See, everyone that was around there, whether it was family, whether it was servants, everybody that was in the house instantly knew that person was to be highly honored. He was to be highly respected because he was a special guest of the father. And so when, when the Bible often talks about, um, the, these, these garments that they would put on when they hosted them, um, they would put on these incredible robes. How many of the Bible talks about Joseph? Out of all the brothers, the Bible says he was so special to the father. In Genesis 37, 3, he says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. How many of you know that was what caused all his brothers to get so upset? Because every time he walked in in this... A man, he robe, but it was so flash and so nice. All the brothers go, why, why is he honored? Why is he so special? How many of you know when Jesus was put on a cross, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 28, it says they stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him. How many of you know they were mocking him? They were saying, hey, here's the king of the Jews. But they put this garment upon him. They put this robe that was meant to represent honor. This young man's life was a disgrace. He deserved a good whipping. He deserved to be reprimanded. He should have received condemnation. He should have received a rebuke. But instead, he gets welcomed back as an honored guest in the house. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
We have peace through our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How many of you know the minute you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he put a robe of righteousness upon you. He put a robe that says, hey, you're an honored guest. Turn to somebody, slap them on the shoulder and say, you're an honored guest in this house today. You're special in God's house today. You're not the servant. You're not the hired help. You're not just a nobody. You are an honored guest in this house today. Do you know the devil's greatest weapon against us is condemnation because as long as he can get you to believe you're no good, you don't deserve it, the father's upset with you, the father's going to have a go at you, as long as he can get you believing that. How many of you know all of a sudden we have the same mentality as that son and say, hey, I'm not worthy to be anything special in the house of God. I'm not worthy to be anything special. I I just want to be low of low. I just want to be put it out there. But how many of you know the greatest gift that Jesus Christ came to give us was the gift of righteousness. He who had no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, can I tell you today, you're an honored guest. You, you, you are special in the house of God. Romans 5.17 goes on, says, For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How many of you know because of God's righteousness, he hasn't called you to be a servant help. He's called you to be a co-laborer and one that will reign with him throughout eternity. You see, we are important. We need to understand who we are. The prodigal son returned home with a guilt and shame mentality but the father just blew him out the water when he received him with an unconditional love and the abundant provision of grace how many of you know guilt and shame is such a hideous thing it's something that will constantly cause us to feel unworthy it's something that will constantly make us feel like we don't deserve anything i don't know about you well, what, what would be more tragic than coming into the house of God on a Sunday and sitting in your chair and just thinking, well, I really don't deserve anything. I don't deserve God's blessing. I don't deserve God's favor. I'm just going to sit and be quiet and I'll just sing my little songs and I'll praise him and tell him how great he is, but I don't deserve a thing. Wouldn't that be tragic when God says, hey, you're an honored guest. You're an honored guest. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. We know this is a prophetic scripture. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair and they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord for the display of his splendor 
Oh, I don't know about you, but that excites me. Amen. God hasn't called you to be a servant. God hasn't called you to be someone unimportant. God has called you to be an oak of righteousness. I mean, if you know those oak trees are one of the biggest trees, are one of the most strongest trees. God has called you to stand tall. Folks, guilt and shame will stop you from receiving what God has. And he's made every provision through his abundant provision of grace. He's given each and every one of us a robe of righteousness. The second thing the Bible says that he received, he said, not only put on the best robe, but he put on a ring upon his finger. You see, that ring was literally like a signet ring. It literally had the family crest upon it. And I think probably what we would have the closest today would be a, if you were, if your dad said to your son, I really like you, daughter, I really like you, and I've got some money in the bank, I would like you to go a signatory on my account. Anybody here a signatory on your father or mother's account? <laughs> They literally had that ring and wherever they went, whatever resources the father had, all of a sudden as an heir of the father, they had the same resources. If they went to town and they needed something, they just said, hey, put it on dad's bill. There's the, there's the signet ring. There it is. And literally what that signet ring represented, everything that belonged to the father now, the son had access to. How many of you believe today that everything God has, has now been given to us through Jesus Christ, that we have access to every resource in heaven. We have access to everything that God has provided. That signet ring meant if dad was worth 10 bucks, guess how much you were worth? If dad was worth a million bucks, how much were you worth? Dad was worth 10 million. If our father is El Shaddai and owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and the silver is his. Every resource of heaven, whether it's peace, joy, healing, forgiveness, every resource has been made available to us through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.8 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule, all power and dominion, every title that has been given, not only in this present age but in the age to come every resource has been there's not a demon in hell that can come against what God has given to you you've been given thing and Paul says oh that the church would have a revelation of the hope of their calling the riches of their inheritance and the great and mighty power that's available has anyone here ever received an inheritance? How many of you know you don't have to work for an inheritance? You don't have to try and make it happen. If someone's left you something in a will, if someone has an inheritance for you, they, they, you you've just got to receive it. When that lawyer comes and says, oh, great grand uncle for some reason or another has left you a million dollars, has left you 10 million or whatever it is, you, you don't have to go, well, I better, better try. It's too late. He, 
You've just got to, you just got to receive it. He says, oh, that we may understand the inheritance, that we may understand the power that's been made available. God has made the resources of heaven available to us. That son felt he deserved nothing. He deserved punishment. But instead, his father welcomed him unconditionally. He gave him the best that he had to offer. And not only did he give him the best, but the Bible says he celebrated his son's return. That ring represents the resources. You have been given the very resources of heaven. We don't have to plead. We don't have to beg. We come as children. I don't know about you, but I've got grown up boys. And whenever they come home, they've both left home. They're both married. But whenever they come home, they just come and have free access to my tools, my fridge. They just walk in. I don't even know half the time. I go look for something, get on the mobile. Who has taken my drill? Who's taken my welder? Who's the... they, they just think they've got free access because they're sons. It's disgusting. Folks, every resource, every provision has been made available to you through Jesus Christ. There's healing, there's deliverance, there's peace, there's joy, there's prosperity. Everything has been made available to you. The third thing is this, the sandals. You know, the servants didn't wear sandals. They all had bare feet. Only family members wore shoes, wore sandals in the Father's house. The Bible says in John 1.12, Yet to all who receive him, to those that believe in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. A servant represented hired help. They had no connection or relationship to the Father's house. But a son that is loved by the Father can hold his head up high in the Father's house. Do you know, I believe those sandals represented full restoration. And folks, I don't know about you, but I believe that we are living in one of the most exciting times in the history of man. How many good Pentecostals do we have here this morning? How many of you believe the Bible says that in the last days God is going to pour out His Spirit? How many of you know we're seeing that happening right now? We're seeing that happening in measure right across the world. Joel 28 says, and afterwards... Now, folks, for all the Bible scholars, wherever the Bible says, therefore, you've always got to find what it's there for. When it says afterwards, you've got to find out what happened before that. And when it says suddenly, just look out. Is that pretty much right? But it says afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. How many of you are believing for that? How many of you are praying for that? How many want to see the greatest outpouring we are yet to see in the world? But he says it's going to happen after something. And so if we need to understand what it's going to happen afterwards, and if we read the preceding verses in Joel 2.23, it says, Be glad, O people. That's you. 
Be glad, O people. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, all those jolly locusts. He says, I will repay you for what they've done. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Turn to somebody and say, never again will you be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel and that I am the Lord your God. There is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. God says before that time comes when he pours out his spirit, there is going to be a time of restoration in the church. There is going to be a time when God is going to restore what the devil has taken. And folks, I don't know about you, but when I look at the church, when I look at what's happening in the world today, sometimes I think those jolly little locusts are having more, more, more influence than what God's having. And I think, God, why is it? Because, you know, we've watched those locusts as they've gnawn away. They, they, they've had their way. They, they've been gnawing away at people's house. How many of you know they're only a tiny little insect, but they just gnaw and gnaw and gnaw. And together they, they wipe out entire crops. Entire, they can destroy total churches. To, together they just gnaw and gnaw. But together they make a significant damage. And the locusts have been gnawing away at people's health, their families, their marriages, their finances, at people's self-esteem, their faith. I don't know about you, but I think we talked about it again. We prayed about it. You know, this people's faith has been challenged. People's faith is literally like their, their faith is windling away. Folks, I believe that we are in a season of restoration right now. I believe whatever the devil has stolen, he's going to repay back to you. If it's been sickness, folks, I believe there's going to be a restoration of healing. Where there's finances, where there's peace, where there's been, where there's been warrior anxiety, I believe that we are in that time where God is going to restore what the devil has taken. The greatest thing that's going to be restored as well, is that, you know, when it happens, and I don't know about you, but you, I think you'll probably relate. You know, sometimes you go in the world and it looks like the enemy's having far more, more influence than what the church is having. And what does it do to us? You're almost ashamed, isn't it? Well, I don't want to say anything in case they laugh at me. You know, I tell them God can heal and I want to pray for you and nothing happens. Well, folks, the Bible says that one of the greatest things that's going to happen is we're going to know that there's a God in Israel. We're going to know that he's our God. And the Bible says that he is going to restore, or the greatest thing that's going to be restored is no more shame. He is going to restore what the devil has taken. Never again will my people be ashamed. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are, a, because you are sons, God has spent sent his spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit that calls out our father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. That, that son came home with a guilt and shame mentality. He came home expecting this. 
But instead of this, he got this. He experienced the unconditional love of God. He experienced the unconditional grace of God. Who was on the door this morning? Who was our helpers and hospitality? Wouldn't it be great if every Sunday morning our greeters and everyone are standing out there looking? Oh, I think somebody knew. Somebody's coming. Hey, come on in. Come on in. We want to celebrate you. We want to come say, hey, God has been waiting. We've had an expectant heart. We've been praying for you. And I want to tell you, you're not going to experience guilt. You're not going to experience shame. You're not going to experience condemnation. You are going to experience the abundant provision. I'm sure. Come on, singers and musicians, come on. And invite them to come. Let's stand. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. He received the unconditional love of God. He received the best that he had to offer. And the Bible says he was celebrated. He wasn't condemned, he was celebrated. Folks, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But if you're carrying guilt and shame, can I tell you that's not from God. Not God doing that. That's the devil having a field day. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Bible says when we say, Lord, I'm sorry. He forgives and he forgets. He opens his heart, hands up wide. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what the challenges are that you're facing. But folks, I want to tell you right now, guilt and shame will stop you from receiving heaven's best. It will stop you receiving all that God has for you. And I want you to know that you know that you know today God is not standing pointing the finger. God is not standing there ready to slap you or strike you. God is standing with open arms saying, come on home. Come on home. I love you. And I don't know where you're at today if that's you. In a minute, we're going to open the altar Folks, I want you to know God has put a robe of righteousness upon you. You're an honored guest in this house. You're an honored guest in this place today. And I'd love to pray. Pray that the enemy knows never to bring you under condemnation again. That today God has said he's brought you home. He's put a robe of righteousness upon you. I don't know what challenges you're facing. Maybe there is financial Maybe today you need healing. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning. You said, God, if something doesn't happen today, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this next week. Folks, I don't know about you, but God's put a ring upon your finger. He's given you divine access to all the resources of heaven. The Bible says in 1 John, this is the confidence we have. That if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if He hears us, we know that we have what we ask of Him. You don't have to plead. You don't have to beg. He says, when you understand the will of God, God meets every need. My God's a God who supplies. He's a God who doesn't just just help us make it to the end of next week. But He's a God that supplies to the full. And maybe you're here today and there's a challenge you're facing. Maybe you're here today and 
You, you just need a miracle in your circumstance, in your finance, in your family, whatever it is. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and we're just going to pray. The last thing he did was he put sandals and that sandals represents full restoration. Folks, the devil's been gnawing for a long time. Those little, little locusts, they've been chewing away at marriages. They've been chewing away at families. They've been chewing away at health and peace and joy and just keep just just literally robbing us of all that God has in store and today I want you to know we're in a time of restoration I believe God's here today and God's gonna God wants to show you God wants you to know his abundant provision of grace God wants you to experience the the riches of your inheritance Today, the Bible says that God has declared today's a day of restoration, folks. And we're going to open the altar. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, I want you to come and just come running into the arms of God. The one who's standing there, he's not looking down, but he's standing with a heart of compassion. And folks, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come right now. We're just going to sing a worship song together. God's in this place. God's here today. And I believe God wants to bless. God wants to show you his favor. God wants to reveal his unconditional love. I sense there's people here today and you've struggled with guilt and shame. Even in the house today, it's like you're burdened with guilt and shame. And God says, please bring it to me. That's not me. That's not me judging. That's not me criticizing. That's not me condemning. That, that's a spirit of condemnation. That's the enemy. Bible says there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Folks, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come. Whatever the need, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, would you come? We're going to pray. We're going to believe God for miracles today. We're going to believe God that God's a God of restoration. If that's you, you come as we sing it. Thanks, God. Oh, we bless you now. Thank you, Father. Come on, let's worship Him. Let's just see God with His arms open wide. He ain't out of zap ya. He ain't out of get ya. Oh, He loves you so much. Oh, we just bless your name, Lord Jesus. We glorify your name. Oh, Jesus. Oh, if that's you, you come, God's here.
I want to pray today. When I pray, I, I, I would love you as a church just to be able to pray with me. Stretch forth your hand. Let's believe God. God's a God of miracles. So often we have so many wrong concepts, so many religious concepts. What happens when we come? The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Because it's right there that we receive grace and mercy. Right in the time of need. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what challenge you're facing right now. But you need a miracle. You need a touch from God. Since there's people here just for that guilt and shame. And I just see God just putting His arms about you. And just revealing His love in a new measure today. If you need prayer in any way, you come. God's here. We're just going to sing that again. And while we do, would you stretch out your hand? We're just going to believe God for miracles. We believe God's going to touch hearts today in this place. If you need prayer in any way, you come. I don't know if we need to close the service or whatever. But if you do need to go, God bless you. Have a great day. Stay for fellowship. Don't be in a hurry to race off. But if you need prayer, we're going to pray together. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Is our God Savior.